Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn uh, to the book of Esther, uh, Esther chapter 5, Esther chapter 5. And as you turn there, I just want to um, thank you, church, for being a family. Uh, it was so exciting for me today. Uh, I know Robert and Heather are expecting uh, their little one, and I've known for a couple weeks, and uh, it's been really hard to hold it in, but every time I, I see them, I kind of want to give them a giant hug and just kind of like shake uh, little Robert um, Baker. And... Uh, it was so great because when they, when, they, when they stood up today and I said, uh, Robert Vicker, please stand, the whole entire church went, <gasps> and then there was a, a, a huge celebration. So praise the Lord for um, new life and just for the, the, the fact that the church rejoices with those who rejoice and truly weeps with those who weep. So amen to that. Well, it's fitting that uh, Adam uh, sang uh, that song tonight as we think about really through the book of Ruth and the book of Esther. It's kind of almost like a two-part series, thinking about God's providence and how God works. And I shared with you before that Esther was um, kind of maligned among the canon because the name of God is not mentioned. But as you read this story, God's fingerprints are all over it. His so- sovereign providence is right um, in these pages. Let's begin in chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was seating on, on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. Now, if you remember, uh, beginning in chapter 1, Queen Vashti uh, was the queen. The, queen. the king called, the king Ashtaharis called uh, Queen Vashti to come to him, and she refused. And because he refused, she was banished as queen, right? And there was a decree kind of spread along the land that every woman must submit to her husband. There was fear of an uprising among the women in the kingdom. So God's providence allowed uh, Esther, who was a beautiful woman, who was cared for by Mordecai, to be brought to the palace. She was chosen as, as queen. Well, Mordecai would go to the temple gate to check on, on Esther because he cared for her like, like a daughter, took her in as a daughter. Uh, there he, he discovered a plot, a plot to, that was going to kill the king. He, he shared it and, you know, was, was honored, honored there. Well, while he was there checking on Esther, uh, Haman uh, would come and uh, Mordecai would not bow before Haman. Right? He said, I will, I will not bow before any man, uh, as Daniel did in, in, um, in his day. Uh, so Haman wanted to kill him. And not just kill him, but to kill everyone that he represented, to kill all the Jews. Because if, if Haman is not bowing to, to, or Mordecai is not bowing to Haman because of his Jewish faith, therefore all the Jews need to be taken out because they're, are, they're all going to not bow to me. Haman continued to rise in the, in the ranks of, of command. And Haman um, wants to kill all the Jews, and it, the plot is discovered by Mordecai. So Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you need to do something. And Esther's first response is, you know that if I go before the king, I'm going to die. No one can go before the king. I'm, I'm, he's not going to see me for 30 days. I can't do anything. And Mordecai just says, maybe God has you for a time such as this. God will allow you to be used. And you see that at the end of chapter 4, he says, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will, will perish. So Esther, after hearing this charge, says, um, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. 
So that you see this kind of this whole story kind of unfolding, and here she's going before the king. Verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. Just think about the favor of God there. Now, we read this story, and we, we kind of know how it ends, but it's, sometimes it's hard to feel the emotion here. Esther really believes that she could perish. That's why she didn't go before. Everyone in the whole kingdom knows if you go unannounced before the king, you could die. And, and not just you, but as you'll see, your family. Now, it's one thing for, for me to say, okay, if I go before the king, I'm going to lose my life. I'm, I'm willing to die. But according to that custom, it wasn't just the, that, that vengeance would be put upon me. It would be put upon Ellen and Elizabeth and Olivia and John David. It, it heightens it, doesn't it? Knowing that it's not just me. I'll take my, I, I'm willing to die, but are you willing to put others in that place? So in Esther step forward, she may be taking the life of Mordecai with her. And God, in his grace, gives favor. And not only just favor, but overwhelming favor. This is, this is the beauty of, our, our, of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? God, through Christ, Christ doesn't just meet our need, right? He takes it, but he overwhelmingly meets the need. God lavishes his grace upon us through his Son. He takes our sin and then brings us into his kingdom. And not that just that we are, we are forgiven, but we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. So here, it's not just that Esther doesn't die. The king says, what do you want? Up to half my kingdom. That's a powerful image. Then the king, Esther, said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. And the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast and Esther had prepared. But as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish that shall be granted to you? What is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And Esther answered, my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. It's really random here, right? Like It feels like Esther has the king in the palm of her hands. She's saying, listen, what do you want up to half my kingdom? She, she could have just said it right there. Why? Well, she has a plan. She, she's having people fast and pray for her. She says, let me put on a banquet, I'll tell you tomorrow. It just seems kind of like an obscure detail, right? Now, it could have just been random. It could have been fear. Esther could have been afraid to bring the request forward and re reveal herself as a Jew. Maybe she wants to, to butter the king up by putting on a, a festival or a party before it happens. We don't know. But the, the delay is a very important one. Look as the, as the plan goes. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Now, if you're a Jew, you, you were kind of raised to hate Haman, right? So seeing joy in your enemy would have given you a revulsion, right? Um, but that's exactly what Haman is. Haman thinks that he's going to have a, a party with the king and the queen. 
I'm hot stuff, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, what, regardless of what you think of our president, if the president of the United States says, I would like to have you at the White House for dinner, you'd be like, huh, you know it, I'll be right there, right? So this is what happens. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. The happiness of Haman is immediately snuffed out at the even sight of Mordecai. Mordecai will not bow to me. This rage fills him. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to him the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, and all the promotions of that with, with which the king had honored him. And how he advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Look at my wealth. Look at how many sons I have and the inheritance in family. Look at my all my promotions. And he's, he's calling people to praise him. It's much like Nebuchadnezzar, right? The great king who looked over all of Babylon and said, look what I have accomplished. This is how the world thinks of themselves. They, they boast in what they have. This is the, it's kind of interesting when you think about the heart of the world, the city of man like Babylon this morning. I am a queen. I will never mourn. Nothing can take me down. That's exactly how Haman is feeling. Nothing can take me down. Look at all I have accomplished. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me. So as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Shoresh, and all his friends said to him, Let the gallows, fifty cubits high, be made. And in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. The idea pleased Haman, as he had, and he had the gallows made. So, I mean, you can just see the tension here in the story, right? The one thing that is just grating on Haman is Mordecai. And his, his wife and his friends and his family says, build the gallows and hang him in the morning so that you will have complete happiness, so that there will be no uh, disdain in your heart, but you will have utter joy and rejoice in all that, all that you have been given. And look at this. God's providential hand. Chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep. Full stop. We know that, that God holds the hearts of kings in his hands. Why could the king not sleep? Because God made it so that he could not sleep. Now, he could have used the heat of the day. He could have used the wind. He could have used the little pea that was under his bed, right? But he, he did not sleep. He couldn't sleep. He was, he was wrestling in his mind. Sometimes God doesn't let you sleep for a very good reason. Just trust him in that. Trust him that there's a purpose even in your sleepless nights. Here, unbeknownst to the king, he couldn't sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorial deeds and chronicles that they were read before the king. Go get me that book and read me about the history of, of our nation. And he was found written how Mordecai had told about Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hands on King Esoharis. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? 
And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Do you just see how God is just... His providence is often humorous, right? He just does things when he does things, when he does, why he does things in a way that he would get the most glory. The world is rejoicing and celebrating. Haman is about to think that he's about to snuff out the Jewish people and smite Mordecai. And at the same time, the king randomly gets a book because he couldn't sleep, randomly has read a story of, of how Mordecai saved him. He says, has anything been done to him? Let's do something right now. Early in the morning. Not much has transpired since the, the festival that night until he went home. There's really, it's really half, half an evening. But look how much has changed. Verse 5. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and, at, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Now, of course, Haman thinks this is talking of himself, Right? He's thinking all about himself and his, his glory. And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the, ha and the horse that the king has ridden, and on those head a royal crown is set. Now let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man with the king's delight to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square in the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, we may give, let me take, take a, like a pause here. We often look at Haman as, as the bad guy in the story, and we, and we know he is, and we know that he has this, this kind of, hey, listen, rejoice in me, roll out the red carpet, give him all what the people say, that he's the, he's the best around. This is what happens when, when the king delights in you. But let's just be honest, how often are we like Haman? We want the praise. We want the, the recognition. So at our jobs, when, when we both do equal work, when our our colleague is praised and we're ignored. How something kind of wells up in us of anger and resentment, right? Or maybe even in the ministry when another church in town is growing and ours is, is not. And, and What is wrong with me? Why am I not being noticed, right? Isn't God pleased with me and my labors and, and, and my effort for the Lord? Why do I have this trial, this struggle? You know, I think so often we want that attention upon ourselves. And how often do we see that, that pride just is, is, is so um, part of the fabric of the fallen world? We are all, oftentimes, can be prideful. And God says he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And we see that picture right here with Haman. So if you have that Haman spirit in you where you're trying to boast and rejoice in all that you think you have done, what we want to do is we want to take our eyes off of ourselves and look towards others. I've shared it with three or four uh, folks this week in conversations. And just, you know, the, the essence of humility is not thinking less about yourself, but thinking about yourself less, right? There's many of you here that God has given tremendous gifts to. And just being humble is not saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm not really that great, or I'm, I, I'm not really that, a good speaker, or I'm not really knowledgeable. In many ways, it's kind of false humility, right? I mean, if God has given you intelligence, say, yeah, praise, praise be his name. 
By, by grace alone, I, I, I have been able to retain knowledge. By grace alone, I, I, I'm patient and kind. But the, the, the thing about how we live in humility is not saying, no, don't look at me. It's just not thinking about yourself. It's just thinking about others and thinking about the Lord, right? That's the essence of, of true humility. Well, the story turns right here in, in, in verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew. You can almost like see the show happening. <laughs> like zeroing in on, on, on Haman's face. Who sits at the king's gate? Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai. Can you imagine how he was just seething? Right, this, this, this Jew who would not bow to him. Now I have to dress and parade him around town, through the square, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. Right? He's letting everyone know that he is not happy. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and his friends everything that had happened to him. Now listen to this. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. I mean, right there, the, the wise men who were around Haman realized that God is with the Jewish people. If, if Mordecai could go from someone who, who could, could turn around and have that hatred against you so that you want to kill him and kill everyone who is, who is like him, of, of, of like faith, to, to be reversed, to be prayed around as, as the one who, who the king delights in. Haman, you don't stand a chance. You are sure to fail. Because God is with his people. You know, that really is the mark of a Christian. It's the mark of, of, of any of us, is that God will be our God and he will be our people. This is the, the great thing with Moses and after the Exodus. And, and God's like, I'm done with these stiff-necked people. And, and Moses is like, Lord, you have to go with us. Unless you go with us, how will people know that we belong to you? The Lord is our shepherd. He is, he is with us. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. The, 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 the Lord Jesus came and, and lived and, and died and, and rose again. Why? So He could send His Holy Spirit with us. So He will never leave us nor forsake us because we have Emmanuel, God, with us in Christ. Now, in Christ, in his, through His Spirit. We have God's presence. And we have, because we have God's presence... Even in the darkest days, even in, in the most um, bleak circumstances, nothing can stand against the Lord and his people. Nothing. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So when we read Revelation and, and, and the city of, of man that is so strong and powerful meets its end in a single day, it is burned and it is destroyed. Why? Because it stood against God and his people. God is mighty. He is mighty to save. And he does it through Christ, through his resurrection. So here, as we walk through this really quickly, it says in verse 14, 
While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had, had prepared. It's almost like just as he heard that, they grabbed him and took him to the banquet. So the king and Haman went into the feast of Queen Esther, and on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I found favor in your sight, O king, if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my one wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not compared with the loss to the king. Then King Esharis and the Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking, went into the palace garden. He had to leave the place. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw the harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to, to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. It didn't say how he fell. He just fell at the wrong time. And the king said, Will you even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Move over the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And the wrath of the king abated. And it's not just Mordecai dies, or not sorry, Haman dies, is hung on the gallows, but as you read the story, all ten of his sons are as well. His family line is blotted out. His name is erased from the history books. So Esther and Mordecai save the Jews by the hand of God. This is why the, the festival of Purim is so important for the Jewish people, knowing that no matter what comes against the Jewish people, they will survive. And just look at how much has happened against uh, Israel, right, over the history of our world. But, beloved, we are Israel. We are the true Israel, the, the, the ethnic Jews and, and those who, are, who have come to uh, God through Christ. We are one people. We are the true Israel. The Lord Jesus Christ is Israel, right? He was the embodiment of Israel, lived that perfect life, died a, a sinner's death. Now, through, through Christ, the wall of hostility is broken down. Now the Jews and the Gentiles are now one people. So now in the church, the, the true Israel, made up of, of both Jew and Gentile, will never fail to the power of our mighty God. So how do we apply this? You know, not every one of our situations is going to be like this with, with Mordecai and Esther. Some situations God's going to have in your life, they're going to be awful. And there's going to be no turn in this life. See, but the, 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 the hope in the midst of darkness for us does not rest in this life, but it rests in the cross and the resurrection. Right? When we, we, we come to the cross, and as I said this morning, it seems everything is hopeless. Our Savior is dead. Our hope is gone. 
and then God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we have hope forevermore. So regardless of whatever difficulty or trial you have in this life, we know that God's going to use it to use it to purify us, to strengthen us. But we know this, that there's always a resurrection Sunday. And one day, that, that glorious morning will come. The trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with our soul. Father, we thank you for Esther's faithfulness. We thank you for Mordecai's faithfulness. But, oh God, let us not forget that you are the one who worked through your people. You worked through Esther. You worked through Mordecai. You worked through King Asaharis. You worked through Haman, God, to give yourself glory. God, I pray that you would work through the people here to give you glory. That we would never waver, Lord, that you, that you would not be, uh, that you are unable to fulfill your promises. But as Abraham, God, that we would be strengthened in our, in our faith, knowing that you are fully able to accomplish all that you have promised in your word. And God, you have promised us a resurrection, God. That we know that even that we are despaired, even for life itself, that, would, that, that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but to rely on you, who can raise the dead. So God, we pray that you would give us the hope of the resurrection in the darkest of days. We long for that day, Lord, that you shall descend, and we shall be your people, and you will be our God forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.